Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Unfiltered episode 35. It is spring training season, um, Isaac, and we are as joined with Eli Sussman as well. Isaac, how are you? Spring training season is here. By the time this goes up, the order have already gone up to Jupiter, but uh, you're going up there tomorrow. And quick thank you to the fans at FanFest. We got a lot of love. Isaac, your your quick your little jersey picture with Blade got some love. So it's been it's been a while since we were on here, but How's everything? And uh, excited to go into some uh, fans' tweets. Yes, everything is swell, Kevin. Thank you. We're recording this on Wednesday, February 15th. I will drive out to Jupiter tonight after our live stream. Make sure to tune into that. And yeah, very excited. This is my favorite time of year. Reporting to Jupiter, the backfields, the main backfields. We'll be all over the place giving you content where you can get nowhere else. So much positivity this time of year. Everybody meeting each other for the first time, making good first impressions. Uh, Every possibility is ahead of them for the time being. So I agree with Isaac that this is a fun time to be around just baseball in general. And in particular, this team, this team, as we've talked about on previous shows, less heading, they've built momentum heading into spring training for sure. And I definitely feel that in the kind of response we get from the Fish Traps audience. And that's kind of what we're going to do today. We're going to kind of see what the audience believes about this team. I put out a tweet earlier this week asking the fans, what are your expectations entering spring training or your biggest storylines entering spring training? That's an interesting question. It's been talked about a lot. That's an interesting question. And we're just going to go basically one by one. There are a lot of good responses. And we think the many, many uh, people that commented on the tweet i believe it was like over 20 so we'll go into as many as we can and i guess we'll start right with the first one unless there's anything else i'm missing isaac or eli nope you got it our new intro sounds like it's sort of a background music to a beth bad beth uh, bed bath bed and beyond bed. sorry no, a, bed, a bed and breakfast i think you meant to yeah. say that no i actually meant the store bed bath and beyond oh okay maybe i can see that it sounded more like a hotel like you're walking uh, to bed and breakfast hotel, or right? bath and body works one of those it sounds yeah. like something like there's that. never been a good in there never has been and there never will be a perfect intro to this show that's what makes it so unique tinker with it and adjust it <laughs> yeah. all right let's get into the first one which was uh from navi at marlin's discord um can we make the yeah we can make the tweet bigger all right every position is filled with either a weak defender or a player playing out of position, will that be enough to back up the strong rotation? I will say with Sandy on the mound, you feel pretty good usually, Um, but he's a guy who really does produce off the ground ball. So in his case, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, I feel okay about the outfield. I don't feel too bad about it. What is the biggest concern is definitely the infield with a rise at second, someone who really doesn't play that position too much. Joey Wendell, who was injured a lot last year playing short. Gene Segura only played 24 career games at um, third base and, and just going to go back into it and basically play there every day. So it's I, I'm going to say yes because I do think they have some pretty good coaching that will help them out a lot, and I, ho- and I do believe Jazz will transition well to center. Uh, I think it's a fair concern, uh, especially in the it infield, is. because one, you know, we talk about the rule change. Players in the infield are going to have to make 
wide range of plays, you know, and moving a lot more than they had to in previous years. And also you are getting objectively worse at specifically the shortstop position and probably at the third base position. You know, you go from Miguel Rojas. It doesn't get much better than that. You're going to Joey Wendell, who is no slouch himself, but, you know, he's not Miguel Rojas. And you're going from Brian Anderson over to Gene Segura, who, like Kevin mentioned, 24 games in his career at the hot corner, probably going downward in, from Jazz to Luis Arise, and you have no more Lewin Diaz at first. It's only going to be Garrett Cooper playing that position. So, yeah, you definitely are regressing defensively in the infield. So I think that might, you know, fans won't be used to it right away. I think it's it's going to hurt this team a little bit, but I think the outfield is going to be fine, like we mentioned. Avi's played his whole career in right field. Jazz, I think, will be fine, and left field should be fine as well. It's the easiest position to play, so... But I do think the infield defense will take a step back. Right. And also, specifically with that infield, you have Arise and Segura competing in the World Baseball Classic on different teams in the World Baseball Classic. On two teams, at least one of them is going to go really far, whether it's the Dominican Republic with Segura or Venezuela with Arise. So there's just not going to be a whole lot of reps with each other. Um, now, there has been some – this has been important that we've seen and heard about off-season work that these guys did even before spring training. They had a hitter's camp um, going back to, what, like mid-January, almost a month prior to where we are now. Uh, that was involving Segura. And so he was able to get some reps, build some camaraderie with his teammates then. With the rise, he was traded over a little bit later in the off-season – they're just not going to get very many, even in exhibition games. There's going to be so few reps between these infielders with each other just to know the little idiosyncrasies of how they turn double plays, um, of how they, who covers a bag on stolen base attempts, and we're expecting a lot of stolen base attempts. Little things about where they deliver the throw to you when you're covering a bag. Like all these things that I think do get better when you get more reps with each other. And in this case, acquiring these two guys in the same offseason, Segura and Arise, that are both expected to be everyday players and having them come from different teams and entering a season where they're just not going to be together for a whole lot of spring training. I think definitely early in the year, especially, there should be reason to believe that this is going to be a weakness of the team. Yeah, and I'll say that the most we'll probably see them together, working out together, will probably now – starting next week on Tuesday when these guys are all, well, I believe they're all there now, most of them at least. But, you know, when the official full squad starts, comes in as the 21st of February, that is when we'll see most of their, um, I guess, chemistry getting worked on there. And I guess you could even mention that they're kind of trying to take a page out of the Phillies strategy here. And I know it's the Phillies, that team that just made the World Series, and they're not even close, the Marlins aren't even close to their level, but they're kind of sacrificing the defense to improve the offense. We saw this with Castellanos, who they brought in, and some other guys as well, making some defensive adjustments there. So that is also something, I guess, you could say that Miami's trying to get more offense going and sacrificing defense is the way. So maybe maybe it works. Hopefully it does. So I like how you um, mentioned Castellanos. The Phillies signed him. They sacrificed the defense. They sacrificed the offense. <laughs> they didn't really yeah, get much true, of anything yeah. from him <laughs> in that case. So that's a, yeah. it's an interesting situation with the Phillies they really leaned not just into offense but into power and in, with Castellanos and then Kyle Schwarber yeah with Schwarber, Marlins, these guys in a rise and Segura um even in the best case scenario they are below average power guys so you're really leaning on their on base skills like the upside with these guys isn't quite as high as with those Phillies players and that's kind of reflected in the fact that they were less expensive to acquire in the first place yeah so it's that's why I understand the concern because it does appear they are trading off some defense on the negative side. And even if things go really well with these players, um, they're not franchise-changing offensive players. Um, okay. So I, I think one way of just looking at it is that this offense was so bad. By the end of the year, last year, you could say this was the worst offense in baseball for most oh, of yeah. the second half of the year, which means that just bring in – if you go anywhere from that to even league average, that's an enormous difference. And it, that would be maybe enough to – like put this team where it wants to be competitively. Yep. Moving on. We have just Marlins. I'm concerned about the overall defense of the team. We already covered that. Thank you for, I guess, mentioning that. Um, all right. Next one comes from Victor. Um, it is jazz in center field, puck and Barnes rule. If skip has an idea of what lineup he wants and if it can be consistent, taking injuries into consideration. So I guess jazz in center field, you mean if he'll be good in center field, we kind of mentioned this already in the last question, I believe 
the transition will go well for Jazz. He's fast, athletic. Um, it looks like he he is playing pretty well so far, and what he's been, you know, the training he's been getting going there. He's been trained by already John Jace, former center fielder Juan Pierre, and a couple other big names that have been, you know, we've been hearing on Twitter that Ken Griffey Jr. about as big a name as you can get in center field. There you go. So, all right, then the the other question is, well, Isaac, if you want to mention anything on Jazz or Eli. No, just Jazz, you know, he, I've never seen someone be more excited about going from, you know, the middle infield to the outfield. When I spoke with him at Marlins Media Day, he was very excited about talking with Ken Griffey Jr. They're going to have a lunch and they're going to have an on-field meeting. When is it? Will it be on a field for actual hands-on stuff or more of a lunch meeting? Uh, it will be both. It will be both. We will probably grab one of the spring training fields one of these days in spring training. Him and Gary Sheffield will probably come down and work with me out there. How's the transition gone so far? I mean, it's going great so far. Not not many could drop balls, you know what I mean? The bare hands, drop a couple of the bare hand balls. But with the glove on, I feel pretty good that I'll catch everything. How do you feel you got you uh, dealt with the transition to being closer to the warning track with the wall? And how, how difficult do you think it's going to be to adjust to all the different ballpark dimensions? I mean, uh, like, I, like I remember last year when I went out there and I did my early work every day last year before games, I would always learn every field that I've been on. I felt like that helped me a lot defensively, so I just plan on doing that every every day again, just going out there, take a couple steps on the warning track before the game, figure it out a little bit, and then go and play. He's very excited, and if anyone can do it with the confidence that he has, it's probably Mr. Jazz Chisholm. Yep, and then going on, Puck and Barnes. Puck was acquired, just for the ones who aren't aware, Puck was acquired, just acquired on Saturday in exchange for J.J. Bladé. Then um, Matt Barnes was acquired by the Marlins in exchange for Richard Blyer. Miami got cash back. I believe it was $5 million. So if let's just kind of analyze that. Puck and Barnes are definitely going to be back end of the rotation, guys, I believe. I mean, Barnes will get, will look, will get probably some – some looks in, as the closer at some point. Puck, we'll see what happens. I mean, middle relief to more setup role I would like to see, but we'll see. Yeah, I put, I put out a tweet um, yeah. asking Marlins fans, who's going to lead the team in saves? And the answer, 45% of the votes went to AJ Puck. I don't know about that. Um, yeah. you know, the other options I put were Dylan Floro, Matt Barnes, Tanner Scott. Just off the top of my head, I would assume that Matt Barnes would open. Right now, honestly, we have no idea. I'm going to ask Eli who he thinks will end up being the first closer of this team. I think it'll go to Barnes. I don't know if Eli disagrees. because It's a really good question. I have no idea. Yeah. What Skip has mentioned, I kind of believe him, is that I, really, I can't imagine one guy sticking at closer for an extended period. Even I, I think they are going to really play it by matchups in some situations where when a pitcher gets really hot, maybe he gets steady opportunities for a while. But I think they understand that there is another way besides the way that Marlins fans are used to seeing it under Don Mattingly. There doesn't have to be a designated closer uh, at any particular time. I don't feel like that it's just going to be a ninth inning guy. Um, I think the, the blueprint where I saw last year in, in St. Louis was what I liked. Uh, we used Helsley in the seventh and eighth inning sometimes, and sometimes the ninth. Um, we will use our best guys in their best league. Even if there's not a designated closer, that floral right now would be on top of the depth chart, if that makes sense. Right? I feel like yeah. he is yeah. going to, until proven otherwise, or until he gets hurt again, the only thing we saw last year is that when he was hurt and when he was coming back from the injury, that's when he was extremely vulnerable when his stuff took an even farther dip down. If he's fully healthy, I think he is at the top of the depth chart. One thing I want to mention on Puck is I feel like he is a guy that you could see a lot used in mid-ending situations with inherited runners yep. because he did really well with that towards the second half of last year with the Oakland A's. And if he's comfortable with that, that's extremely valuable. Um, that is something they tried to have – Blyer doing last year. Blyer was the main guy that the Marlins used last year to get them out of jams when you needed soft contact when, or if you, I, I don't know. They didn't really have great options, but, but Blyer somehow was in that situation where he was the one coming in with runners in scoring position in the sixth inning or the seventh inning, and he did really poorly at that. There's really no way to sugarcoat it. Like He was disappointing in that role, and I feel like Puck could sneakily get a lot of those 
opportunities. I don't really think about it necessarily as who gets what inning because I don't even think Skip is going to think of it that way. But I was encouraged looking at Puck's season last year and seeing the way that he would come in pretty often with two runners on base in a high leverage situation and get out of it. I, I think that is that's a way that he could be really valuable to this team. Yeah, and something Isaac mentioned was Tanner Scott, and he thinks he was, he's going to be probably one of the better relievers on the Marlins this year in terms of the setup role. I, I definitely see Tanner Scott in that setup role, maybe like the Anthony Bash from last year, as Isaac also mentioned. So maybe we see Puck in more of a middle relief, high leverage role. That's how I see it. And then Matt Barnes, I would like to see get some opportunities to close. But Dylan Floro had an amazing second half of 2022. You you looked at those final months. I believe he had a ten game stretch where he did not allow a hit, or he had a he had, he just had a zero ERA. So very impressive stuff there uh, from what we, the Marlins looked like last year in terms of their bullpen to this year. You really just have to you know, although he didn't get any of the marquee guys in free agency or Alex Reyes, who I know many wanted. Miami still improved this bullpen tremendously. Maybe it's still not the it's not the best in the NL East, but it could. It's going to put up a better fight than it did last year. I think we could say that much. And the guys that they added to the 40-man, Soriano, Simpson, Villalobos, those guys, Reynolds, those guys will all get a shot at some point. And I, and I think some of them are going to be pretty good. So Yeah, I see like an Andrew Miller, Adam Conley sort of role for Puck. You know, multiple inning guy who, like Eli said, can get yeah. it, go in with runners on base. And then go pitch the next inning as well, if need be. Yeah. So. And you could correct me if I'm wrong, Eli, but I believe the A's are trying to stretch Puck out to be a starter at one point for them. So it makes a little more sense if you put him in a, um, I guess, multiple inning role at some point. Yeah. There, there's a good note coming out of Wednesday morning's media availability from Puck about how he said he was focusing on adding a cutter and a splitter to his pitch mix over the offseason, pitches that he did not use at all in the majors last year essentially. Um, and that just lends to the idea that he was thinking of ways to go multiple times through a lineup or at the very least being sure that he had all the options he needed to face right-handed batters. He's There's no doubt about it that he's going to be really great against lefties. And so the question is whether he can that can carry over again when hitters have a better look at him from the right side. He's an intriguing guy. I, I think a lot of us are aligned really liking that deal from the Marlins perspective. Yeah, especially for someone like Blade, who probably wasn't going to play much for the Marlins this year. You have De La Cruz, you have Sanchez, you have many guys fighting for that left field spot. You really probably wouldn't have seen Blade too much unless he would have absolutely killed it in spring, which highly unlikely in my opinion. So, all right, moving on. LMF, Loud Marlins fan, says, away from jazz and center field utilities at shortstop and the bolstered bullpen by committee, I'm looking forward to the story being about the personality of the team. What will their attitude be coming out of spring? Us against the world, or let's play with house money. Um, and he put team in all caps for the ones that are um, listening to the pod. I guess he's kind of asking what the clubhouse will look like, the vibe. We kind of saw last year kind of deteriorated toward the end of, uh, end of the year, especially after the team meeting, the infamous 90-minute team meeting, which many of us still don't know a lot about, but we kind of would assume what it's about when we won't get into that. But Isaac, what do you think the clubhouse is going to be like? A lot more Dominicans, Johnny Cueto, pretty vibrant guy in the clubhouse. You have Gene Segura, Sandy, and you bring in Luis Arise, who kind of take into that Pablo role. I guess he really impressed many of us in the press conference. At least he did to me in terms of the way he spoke about coming down to Miami and just playing with the team. So this looks like it's going to be a lot better of a clubhouse in terms of the vibes and just the attitude that they all have. And, and I believe jazz, you were at the, maybe that was media day. He mentioned that the clubhouse, he believes they're always coming up with their heads up, ready to win. And they want to win. That's the first time that he's really seen that in Miami. Yeah, he did mention that. He did mention that it's a, it's a much better vibe around the clubhouse this year, going to spring training. Everybody's excited. My, the clubhouse did lose a couple of like key guys that just seemed to always have a smile on their face and Pablo Lopez yep. and Jesus Aguilar. Those are yep. two guys that really helped keep things loose. I don't think they were ever part of the issue. Um, but, yes, I, I, I do see a tremendous change. I haven't been to Jupiter yet, but I was at Media Day, been a couple other events, and it just seems like a happy vibe. And granted, it does always seem like you know a, a good vibe at this time of year. But I, do, I don't think there's going to be any controversial team meetings in 2023. At least I, I would hope not. And the hope is if there is one, it'll be, you know, 
about good things, you know, winning, hopefully. So, exactly. Eli, if you want to add anything, to I, what either Isaac or I said. Yeah, it's a really – the thing about this team that sticks out to me is that the individual players, for the most part, don't have a ton of pressure on them in terms of, one, their contract status. There are very few that are going to be pending free agents next offseason. Um, and I, there does seem to be – this is the start of what appears to be kind of a multi-year window right now where – no, and it, it's coming at a time where, as we know, in the National League East, there are three teams – that basically everybody expects to be significantly better than them. So what LMF, when he's referring to let's play with house money, that's what it goes back to. The fact that when you look at it objectively, it is hard to see a path where this team is playoff contending right now, just considering the other talent that's in the division. And from with that, with the lack of expectations from the outside, that can lend itself to um, a, a very – comfortable situation here where any success that they have is all that much sweeter given the lack of expectations around them. The one person that's under the most pressure for this Marlins team is probably Kim Ang because she finally took the step there. She committed more money to payroll than they've ever had under Bruce Sherman. She um, she's been steadily trading away some farm system depth at this point where um, they just don't have a whole lot in that pipeline. They have a few standouts and just not a whole lot of depth in there. As actually one of the other questions touches on that moving forward. And like, there's a question now of exactly how long her leash is to stay as general manager, unless it translates to a significant amount of wins. The pressure is on her. Uh, she's made moves that um, I think generally are exciting and you can feel uh, relatively positive about but the pressure is, it's away from the players. It's certainly not on the manager, Skip Schumacher being his very first year on the job and as a manager himself. So that's um, that's kind of why I think I can believe that there's a good vibe in the clubhouse. The players themselves, the new coaching staff, Skip and all of his coaches, um, they're the, the ones that are actually on the field. They, relative to what you usually feel as a major league player, like this is... I can see this being a really encouraging situation, being a very comfortable spot where maybe you do see like a handful of players performing better than you'd ordinarily expect just because of the lack of stress that is on their shoulders, at least in 2023. Is Kim on on the final year of her deal, right? Or she has one year after this? We think that this might be her final guaranteed year of the deal with an option for next year. Like, I, I think one way or another, she'll almost certainly be back in 2024. But she's certainly on the hot seat um, yeah. in a firm sense, especially if this team does not make a significant step forward. So, yeah, this is it is a big year for her more so than anybody else. Um, she's deliberated very carefully on making some of these moves. Um, and we'll, we'll have to see if they actually prove to be efficient enough to put this team where it hasn't been in quite a few years, at least over the course of a full-length season. All right. We will move on to the next question from Eric C. Um, You mentioned depth, Eli, and this is a question, I believe. Do they have enough depth to deal with injuries? And just to read out what Eric put, he put infield, Birdie, Grosch, and Zamaya LeBlanc. You could add Xavier Edwards to that list. Outfield, Bella Cruz, Burdick, Girard, Conine with a question mark. Um, the depth, I, I think they have good depth, I would say. Um, I mean, if you, just from the list that was sent here, and maybe one more move to bolster defensive versatility, says at the bottom, but you would definitely have to add Xavier, Xavier Edwards to that list of infielders. Outfielders, mm, I mean, I don't think there's much more you can go from there. Unless, I, 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 think uh, assuming... Jeff, I think you lifted Jeff Conan. I think you listed Griffin a little bit high there because they do have some outfield depth when it comes to, you know, you're starting four. Yeah. You know, you, you have those four guys in the big leagues. One of them will be on the bench to begin the year. And then you have guys like Jake, ba- Jake Mangum, Gerard Encarnacion, Peyton Burdick, Brian Miller. I think all of those guys, even maybe, you know, don't kill me, but Victor Victor and J.D. Orr are probably ahead yeah. of, of Griffin Conan at this point. So yeah. in the outfield, I think they'll be fine. That's part of the reason why they felt, you know, that they were able to trade J.J. Bleday. And in the infield, I think they have as much depth as they've had, at least since the rebuild began. So yeah. I think that's not going to be an issue. Hopefully they have they even 
Garrett Hansen might even start the season on the big league roster. Behind him, you know, you have Birdie, you have Wendell, you have all these guys, um, even in the minor leagues and even in the lower levels of the minor leagues. So I, I don't think depth will will come to be an issue. I think their starting pitching depth might a little bit, ironically. I mean, the pitching depth isn't the worst, though. You traded probably still have Yuri, who very soon will probably be ready for the big leagues. You have Castano. You have some long relievers you could use. I could see where you could say the depth isn't there, but I think it's it's all right. And Dax Fulton at some point will will debut. Right. And I, I wanted I, to mention I, I either either Yuri and Dax. You, you want to save them for maybe the second half of the season, just unless they're yeah. absolutely dominating the upper levels of the minors, which I'm sure they will. But you want you don't want to rely on them in the first half, in my opinion. And so that leaves you with basically Braxton Garrett, Brian Hoeing. Uh, Daniel Castano, maybe you know, you know, he's hurt a little bit. And the non-roster invitees early in the year, like a Devin Smeltzer, Chichi Gonzalez. That, that's yeah. the part of the year where you um you really need to hit on some of these journeyman guys when the first half of the year things don't go well. And this is Marlins team that we've seen lose pitching depth during the first half of the year and not be able to overcome it, uh, especially in 2021. That's when it was most obvious, but also a little bit last year as well so they have some new faces kind of in the mix this time and fingers crossed they won't need them like if this rotation actually stays healthy with the guys that are currently in those spots as people have very fairly hyped it up this could be the best rotation in marlin's history if the guys that are at the top actually stay healthy and if the prospects that are next in line mainly yuri if they live up to their hype like the talent is really immense but on the position player side yeah, I think the depth it. is, especially on the infield, depth is in a pretty good shape. Yeah. Um, kind of the question with the infield is whether, um, I mean, the main question is at shortstop, whether you're going to, they don't, where they kind of, they're kind of cobbling it together, a very important position that they moved on from Miguel Rojas and people understand why, but whether it's Wenzel playing there almost every day or whether you have to put your trust in one of these young guys like Amaya to take over it, like that's one position where um, I don't feel really confident in any of the solutions that they have, and they'll have to do something to address it long term. They, as we'll talk about Jazz a little bit, I think in these other questions, they had a choice really to move him to shortstop or move him to center field, and really center field is not in people's minds. It, it was a surprise that they did that, and by doing that, and seemingly committing to doing that, I, they the shortstop position has me worried. I'll be fair. I'll be just upfront about that. Yeah, that's that's Joey easily Wendell really impressed us too. You like when we were in spring training last year, Joey Wendell can command the position, but like we said, Miguel Rojas, it does not get better than that defensively. And pitchers, fans are so used to every single play on the left side of that infield being made and pretty easily by Miguel Rojas. So that's why I strongly advise, you know, Miami to take a strong look at Jacob Amaya to maybe cracking the opening day roster because he is very good with the glove, and they're going to need it late in games, maybe even to pinch hit against a left-hander because, you know, Joey Wendell struggles against those in the box. So there's a lot of things they can do. All right. We have six questions, which we're going to try to fly through here very quickly by Marcelino Delgado. So the first one, who is the Marlins closer? We kind of can all agree it's going to be closer by committee. Yeah. Um, is Jazz the answer in center field? We'll have to wait and see. He looks good so far. Is Cooper the answer at first base? All right. So Miami currently the only other first baseman as a non-roster invitee is Troy Johnston, who is a top 30 prospect currently on MLB Pipeline and um, soon to be by Fish Stripes, hopefully. Um, there's not much more to say. And Kim mentioned Miggy Rowe and Fortes' options at first base. Miggy Rowe got traded that same exact day. And Nick Fortes is still on the roster. But I think we'll see Nick catching more. Honestly, because Jacob Stallings, I just believe, will catch Sandy and maybe Cueto. But we'll see how that goes. And Isaac, Eli, any objections or just want to add on to that? Yeah, for me, I've never felt that first base was as much of a pressing need as like most people felt. Unfortunately, like Cooper does have this track record of getting injured in all these very awkward and kind of random ways. Uh, eventually, I, I don't know how. Like, I think it is reasonable to expect him to play most of the games this year. I like, I can't put my finger on one particular reason to feel that he's that they need a whole lot of at bats behind him. Between 
Fortez, as you mentioned, playing first base. Um, I, I think that could really happen. And more so Luis Arise being that that was his primary position last year, even though the Marlins are saying he's going to be at second base. Uh, as we covered, they actually have quite a bit of second base depth. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if Arise actually does play almost as much first base this year as he did in 2022 with the twins. So between them, I mean, those are two, those are guys that aren't great defensively there, but their bats are at least within striking distance of what you want from a first baseman uh, in that situation. So I don't know if Cooper needs to be the answer. Um, I think all things considered, like, yeah, it'd be, in a, in a perfect world, they would just spend what it took to get Jose Abreu at the very start of the offseason. Uh, but aside from him, and especially at this stage of the offseason, I'm not sure they're going to find much else. So I think it's perfectly reasonable. Cooper is one of those few players who is a pending free agent in a contract year. He has all the motivation he needs to play well, to take care of his body this year. So I think that's a I think it's a reasonable bet to just have him as the guy over there. And he when he's healthy, he's going to be an above average hitter. And when he gets hot, he's going to be the best hitter on the team for some period of time. The questions with him are always the injuries and the consistency within the season. Uh, but I am despite the way that the season ended for Cooper, I'm probably a, a little more optimistic than most about him this year. Yeah, we saw how big health was a factor for Coop. I mean, good enough to make the All-Star team in 2022. So I guess the only other player we should kind of give a shout-out to here is Drawer. Uh, we saw him play a lot of first base in the in the Dominican Winter League, kind of manned it okay. I mean, good enough to put up amazing offensive numbers. And if anything, Coop will just slide in at DH from time to time, and Troy Johnson will definitely get the be the first man to get the call-up if Coop goes down with an injury. So... I think Cooper's the answer for now. I could see why Miami was looking for an upgrade, especially Cooper on the contract year, as you mentioned, Eli. And they kind of want more clarity and, and someone who you know will be there for years to come, like an Abreu. So we'll see. Um, next question is, is DLC going to have a good season? Assuming he's starting in left field. I know uh, you posted today, Isaac, that MLB.com put Brian De La Cruz as a breakout candidate, I believe is, is what it is. Yeah, Dela Cruz, MLB.com, five players who they believe will have breakout seasons. And all of Dela Cruz's batted ball data sort of supports that. Uh, they were a lot of it, a lot of his numbers were good in September. You know, you got to take that with a grain of salt. But yeah, he when he came back up from being sent down to AAA, it was a completely different player and the confidence was insane. So oh, yeah. yeah, I think spring training is going to be big. I think there's going to be like an Isan Diaz Jazz Chisholm competition for left field. In all honesty, I know they are going to platoon no matter what. And during the regular season, but you know, someone, one of the two, will get the everyday job to begin this to begin the year. So and it'll and it'll suck to have to see those two competing because they're such good friends. But I kind of want to go to that very quickly. The competition side of of spring training. Before we move on here, I wanted to ask you, Braxton Garrett and Trevor. There's only five spots in the rotation. Those two are lefties. We saw Braxton; he can man down part of you know that fourth, fifth spot in the rotation. Are we going to see some type of competition there? Do we think we'll see a competition between Brax and Trev, or do you think Skip goes all in and goes six-man rotation? I'll let you like it's it. been floated. I've not really thought about it much, just considering that um, it's it's rare. as much people as much as brain thought as people put into the six-man rotation idea. It has very rarely been used by major league teams for any extended period yeah. of time because of how protective they are of their relievers. If you add six starters, that by by definition, it shortens the bullpen. And you either have to be really confident in your relief depth um, on your 40-man roster because guys are going to get tired unless you're going to cycle in that area. Um, it doesn't really make sense because uh, even if you get quality starts from most of those six guys, um, you're going to see the effects on the other end of the game when the situations are most important. So that just seems like a cop out, um, and uh, I don't. I think they're going to settle on just five guys. Obviously, you want to hope that it's simply five. All, everybody stays healthy, and they make a very yeah. tough decision at the end of spring. I think realistically, um, you see the way that teams manage the innings of these pitchers. Even if it's not a serious injury, there are 
um, it's it's a strategy to hide guys on the IL for a period of time to manage their innings over the course of the season. So I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if that's the way this goes either, where one of the young guys, somebody, obviously Braxton, um, he's the one that he's never come close to pitching a full season before, and neither has Lizardo, um, even though he obviously deserves to be in the rotation, and neither has Edward Cabrera, who can't be sent down anyway. Yeah. Like, I, I, it would be unsurprising if we get to the end of spring training and all these guys pitch well that one of them goes on the IL due to um, forearm tightness or something <laughs> like that um, just to manage their innings and knowing that they'll be needed very soon in the rotation, but just to keep everybody fresh. Um, yeah, a six man rotation, it's difficult to manage. The teams that use it generally aren't very successful during the period of time that they are using it. Um, so, with the Marlins, I, I think they're ultimately going to make a decision at the end of spring training when it comes to that fifth spot or uh, they, if they are going to cop out rather than expand the rotation, it's going to be using the injured list in a very creative way. Yep. All right. Moving on. Uh, are the Marlins competitive in the NL East? It really does depend. I mean, you're looking at the teams on top of them right now, Phillies, Braves, and Mets, all teams who got a lot better throughout this offseason. And we don't even have to mention the moves that each team made because it'll just be a very, very long list. But just know Trey Turner's back in the NL East. Justin Verlander, the unanimous AL Cy Young, is now in the AL East, and you have to deal with him when you play the Mets. And Sean Murphy's now a NL East member, and he will be here with the Braves for a very long time. So... My, if Miami wants to compete, you believe they would have to do more than what they did this offseason, but they did do enough to at least fight for the third spot in the NL East, maybe um, surprise many and, and take that third spot and fight for the second, like Duke Johnson predicted. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be tough for this team no matter what, no matter how you slice it. You got to assume all three of those teams that you mentioned, Kev, will be in the postseason, not even competing, but you got to think three of the postseason teams in the NL will yeah. be from the NL East. So that sort of leaves one playoff spot available for Miami to try and compete for, which is the third wild card. But yeah, I don't think the Braves got insanely better. I, they added Sean Murphy, and I, I think that's about it. But yeah, you're right. The Phillies added Trey Turner. They will be without Bryce Harper for a couple of months. And it, like to give some sort of hope of optimism here, yeah, Bryce Harper's going to be gone for a little bit. The Braves... We'll see what Acuna does, but Miami fared kind of decent against them. And the Mets, something always seems to go wrong. They're depending on two, you know, four, close to 40-year-olds to uh, be at the top of their rotation. And there's a way that Miami can maybe stay relevant up until August and September. It's not likely, but there is a small glimmer of hope for this for this team in this division. And they only have to face each of those teams how many times this year? Not 18 anymore. 13, I believe. They, they play each of them less, which hurts because you only face the Nationals 13 times, but it helps because you only face these guys 13 times as well. So, and I, Yeah, and I quickly want to mention, you mentioned you know Braves, Mets, Phillies, all teams we could basically put as a lock-in for the playoffs. You just have to look what's outside the NL East. I mean, the Diamondbacks are a team that probably will be competing towards the end. You still have teams like the San Francisco Giants who, are, who got a little bit better this offseason, unfortunately struck out on Judge and Correa. And then you have these other teams in NL Central, Cardinals, Cubs got a lot better. So, you, you you know, and Brewers, I guess you could also mention, which is a team that's always in there. So if Miami could just stay, you know, stay up to par with those teams or stay at afloat, very close to that NL wildcard spot, you would kind of feel pretty good about how they could compete. But in the NL East, you could kind of say it's highly unlikely Miami will uh, will end up in the top two. I'll keep the third spot as a possibility. Yeah, you mentioned it. For anybody that hasn't seen our Duke Johnson live stream that we did earlier this month, I encourage you to check it out on our YouTube channel. I thought he'd want to talk football for most of it. This being the Duke Johnson, who is a University of Miami legend and still is an active NFL player. But we spent most of it talking about the Marlins because he has dove in really deep into the Marlins. Way too deep. Not just being a big fan, but being somebody that actually has opinions on that stuff. Like he, He was so impressive. And you can find that on our YouTube channel. I, I, I want to kind of wrap this up and just cover anything that we feel we haven't touched on already. We should mention Sixto here from both Aussie Marlins fan and Nick Alvarez. They're curious about him. How are we feeling about Sixto? Um, just for anybody that doesn't know, we should probably update them on how it is that he reported 
to spring training this year, looking in better shape than ever, honestly. Not just the best shape of his Marlins career, but the best shape of his professional career, surprisingly. Yeah, we, yeah. I was able to speak with him at media day. And, uh, yeah, I don't know who reported that he was fat. He uh, he looks great. Um, One of that jerk was. He told us he lost, I think it was 46 pounds. People are saying we should call him 46 though. Ha ha. Um, but yeah, he says, I asked him what percentage of health he's at. He said 80, 85%. He's thrown five bullpens, I believe. Yeah. Throwing about 88 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So obviously he's not there yet. The, the team has not given him, given him permission to pitch in spring training games yet. He's hoping that in March and April, he will be pitching in some sort of, you know, organized baseball game, which would be the first time in two years. But yeah, things are seemingly starting to go right for this young man. And, you know, if he can just some, show some sort of what he showed in 2020, that'd be incredible. And that'd be adding to the depth that this team desperately needs. So yeah, six, so still a ginormous question mark. I'd be surprised if they get anything out of them, but it is a possibility. It's never been as optimistic with six as it is now, I guess you could say. Yeah. And that's kind of what I wanted to say that with six though, you, you kind of assume maybe this guy would never pitch again, but the way he's rehabbing now and it looks like it's going is maybe he will make some type of a pit. Maybe he will pitch a major league game in 2023. I won't say he will make a big contribution, but Maybe he will get on the mound and pitch, and if it's as a spot starter, if it's as a reliever, hopefully a reliever, I think that's probably where he will best line up at this moment, just with how the team looks right now. But it's obviously another guy who you could count on to make starts if fully healthy, looks good, and especially looks good in those rehab starts, which we'll probably be seeing at some point this year. And uh, if he pitches in March in in a spring training game, that is very, very impressive. Or we could see him pitching one of those scrims with the minor leaguers, which I know Eli and I kind of saw. Uh, Eli saw more than I did during spring training, but definitely saw a couple of those during during spring. So if Sixto could pitch in one of those maybe, or even in a spring training game, that's just incredible. And huge shout-out to him for being able to get through that recovery and those two years, which probably have been the biggest mental you know, just horrible years for him not being able to go out there and pitch with his teammates, which, which is something he said he wanted to do, play, and it hurt him a lot not being able to go out there. So, yep. wish him the best, and he looks great. I mean, 46 pounds uh, shed it off of his stomach. So, yeah. If, well, I guess we'll just keep going down, yeah. Yeah, uh, we could just do two more topics probably. This yeah. one from Pac-Man about the chemistry under manager Skip Schumacher. What's the vibe you guys are getting about Skip at this stage? Um, he's been he's hired right after, right during the World Series. Somebody, he's one of the youngest managers in the game. He's um, he, he like speaking publicly, he is a, he handles um, he is a big change of pace from Don Mattingly in a lot of different ways. As somebody that just played the game very recently at the highest level and kind of understands what the players are going through at this stage of his career. Um, yeah, I think it is an interesting question about wh- how it is that the players will react to him. Like on one level, he can relate to them on another level. Like he doesn't carry the same, um, his, his resume isn't the same as Don Mattingly. It's not a former yeah. MVP of the league, not a former face of baseball. So when he makes mistakes or when he's in situations that he's unfamiliar with as a first-time manager, how will the players respond? I think that is a, a pretty big question right now as to like when you add it all together, is he the right guy to like lead this group, this team? And is he going to put them in a position where they overachieve? I think it's fair to say the last couple of seasons under Donnie, they underachieved based on the talent that they had for whatever variety of reasons. And, now, while with Skip, um, it's it's always hard to put your finger on the influence of a manager, but he's he's different in a lot of ways, and um, some of those positive, but some of those that is understandably a very big storyline as to whether we think he's ready for this job. No other team hired him for this position over the past few years, where he tried to get it, and the Marlins are taking this big leap and putting their trust in him. Yeah, I've not been able to speak to Skip personally yet. I couldn't. I did not see him at FanFest, but Isaac has spoken to him on multiple occasions already. So if you kind of want to just talk about Skip Isaac, you you know just meeting him in person, how he is and all that. You could tell he he's just, he's missing playing baseball for a living. But no, I think Eli alluded to everything perfectly. He's a he's a player's guy. Obviously, he doesn't have the resume of Donnie like Eli said, but it's a it's a great human being, and he's in 
phenomenal shape. I don't know if you guys have a tweet of you know of him and from his presser. He yeah. looks great. Um, just, nothing much else to say. I'll speak with him tomorrow, hopefully more personally, and I'll have more info for you guys. Yeah, Donnie. I mean, Donnie. Oof. Skip is um. He, he, he looks like a player's guy, as you mentioned, and I, I think Eli mentioned this right when they first hired him, but Skip was part of the StatCast era when he was playing. So yeah, I, I get his his final year of his playing career, 2015, that was the first year yeah. of StatCast. So when it comes to um, just the kind of instructions that he probably received as a player, it's some of the same stuff that his players are receiving today, where when you're playing at a time, all your movements are tracked and through – cameras and through other um, just technology, you can pinpoint very specific things about players more so than ever before. And that is something that was so foreign to the game not that long ago, but now it is, that's the entire difference between wins and losses is which team is like recognizing these deficiencies and making the adjustments the right way. So he is very relatable to the players. And the question is whether the other aspects of the job, whether he's ready for it. Yeah, so final question comes from Andres Nieto. Um, can slash will Sandy continue his dominance on the mound this season just for a refresher? Sandy was the Cy Young winner in 2022. He will be trying to defend the the, the, the award again this year, and hopefully they'll spell it right this time. Um, he surpassed the 200 inning marker, surpassed the 200 strikeout marker, got, I believe, it was six complete games, I want to say, this year. Um, so... You can't say much more about how good Sandy was in 2022. I do believe he'll continue to dominance. Will it be at the same level? Maybe not. But you'll definitely see Sandy go out and try to pitch all nine every night, every fifth day when he's on that mound. Yeah, I think the number one thing people need to just hope for is his uncanny ability to stay healthy. He, you know, knock on wood, he hasn't really spent any time on the injured list since he's been a Marlin, not that I know of, even in the – COVID-shortened season, he didn't even go down the COVID IL. So uh, he, did. Not, oh, he did. I'm sorry, he did. He did. But he's still did he, missed. right? Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, he did. He did. He was one of them He was in the beginning of the year. But he just has not gone in the IL with any arm injury whatsoever. So I think you just got to pray you get another 200 innings out of him, whether he's got a you know a two-point-something ERA or a three-point-something ERA. Just hope he's there every fifth day pitching seven to eight innings, and that's what you hope for. I think the, the idea of him having – a season like he had this year is unlikely, but I just hope that the durability is there. And that's the number one concern for me. Yeah, you summed it up really well. Yeah, Sandy. Even, with few exceptions, there just are not a whole lot of pitchers that do back-to-back seasons like that in terms of both innings and the quality of those innings. And with Sandy, I think if you lean one way or another, you'd probably say that the qu- the quantity, like the volume of the innings is the thing that you trust him most just based on mm-hmm. his track record, based on his work ethic. Like That's what you can trust. It's, it's so hard to prevent runs like that, especially if you are not a top-of-the-scale strikeout guy. Um, and that's a trade-off that he has to make. Last year, everything went great where he, he allowed more balls in play, but he – didn't, he kept all those balls in the ballpark. He turned a whole lot of double plays. He was really efficient with those pitches as well, where he would get those outs early in the count. Like So many things went right for him last year. He was building towards being a great pitcher before, and I have no doubt that he's going to continue being a great pitcher for most of his career moving forward. Um, we, we just need to be a little realistic where um, can't assume that he's going to be the most valuable pitcher in baseball yet again. Um, you can, he's the ace of this rotation and he continues to prove people wrong at every turn. Like every year he overachieves a little bit based on what you expected coming into the year. And this is why it's such a fascinating test because there is nowhere higher for him to go as an individual pitcher than he reached last year. And maybe he does surprise us all. Maybe he does. This, this could be the year where he puts himself really on a hall of fame track. If he repeats that, then you need to start putting him in that discussion And understanding how unique that is, um, I just want to keep people's expectations a little bit realistic. Where, yeah, there's historically history says that the league is going to find a way to adjust to him. That all the mileage put on his arm last year could come back to slow him down a little bit. Um, he's still the ace of this rotation, and I'm, I'm fascinated to see how it goes. As it says, because because of his history. 
Um, I, I want to see what it looks like when um, what it is that what is going to keep motivating him to get better when he's already the best in the game. And that's kind of what I want to get to. You mentioned maybe stepping back a bit. I mean, the stepping back a bit, still a very dominant pitcher. Maybe a three-something ERA, and he was at a two-something this year, two-six-something. So if you're putting Sandy an ERA under maybe three-something, I mean, oof, still an amazing pitcher. And maybe he doesn't surpass the 200 strikeouts, but he'll definitely get over the 200 innings and you still feel very, very good, and, you, and Sandy will probably one of those early Cy Young fav- winners, early favorites to win the Cy Young. And so, just wrap it up. Prize Picks released their season betting odds or season bets over unders. And I'm going to ask each of you over or under 197.7 strikeouts for Sandy. And I'll start with Isaac. My number one tip: stay away from those Vegas. Yes. When it comes to over under points, strikeout numbers over a season. Innings pitch, they are so betting, man. good. Vegas knows. Stay away from those props. But my, oh, they nail it. 197.5 strikeouts for Sandy. It's like such a perfect number. I don't know. I would say, I would say under. Yeah, me too. Eli? I'll go over, slightly oh. over that number. Yeah, I, I just say under because I think he'll rely a little bit more through the ground ball this year, especially with the shift and all of that. I actually think the opposite is true. I think he's gonna need to rely a little bit more on getting guys out, you know. Well, yeah, but, yeah, and you know, maybe I'll change my mind because you know, three full seasons in the major leagues, three seasons of 195 innings plus, and two of them were way over 200. So, yeah, if you think if he's strike, he's just gonna get a strikeout per inning at least. He's not a 14 strikeout per nine inning guy, but he's at least eight and a half, nine strikeouts per nine guy so yeah. if that's the case you should be able to go over i would go i would leave myself a little edge and go under the, that number in particular. yeah me too all right and that's where we're gonna end it 50 minutes did not expect to go this long but we did it so from isaac from my from my eli and myself we'll see you all next week expect some great coverage we have noah going up there every day isaac will be up there tomorrow i will be up there monday tuesday a lot a lot of coverage coming up so just follow fishstripes.com all wherever you listen to your podcast subscribe youtube subscribe we'll see you guys on the next one peace out and go fish we gotta end it off right <laughs>